Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged and empowered by this week's message and you would encounter God wherever you're listening from. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now, let's go into this week's message. talk about the purposes of God, basically. And you know, the great commitment to the great commandment, it's a lot about our relationships with God and with each other. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we, as human beings, we are image bearers. We're made with God's wiring. We're made for relationship. But we're also created to breathe and live purpose. Say purpose. And the purpose of God is huge and epic, and it filters down, though, into the very smallest details of our life. It's it's coming through your nine to five, and you washing dishes, and you doing all these things. As As you follow Jesus, all of your work becomes sacred worship to him. So we're created for relationships, but we're also created for work. You're wired to work. Say wired to work. Now, I can remember in my early 20s as a stay-at-home mom, um, I was working hard, and I was, honestly, I was cranky quite a bit. And I finally got the revelation of this. It's like, Stacy, your life is going to involve a lot of work, just hard work. And you've got to make a good relationship with work, or you're going to be miserable to be around for the rest of your working life. (laughs) And we are still wired to work. Even though work was an area of the curse, we're still called to work. We're called to be able to work and still be this witness, this testimony of the divine purpose, of the divine wiring that we are as human beings. And when we work as followers of Jesus, we're this testimony that work isn't our master. Work's not our God. We're not working to get our identity, our security, our affirmation. We're working from a different place. We're working from a different revelation starting point. We know where this is all heading. No matter what sphere of society, we're putting our blood, sweat, and tears in our hard labor as working humans. God, well, you know this. God doesn't save us, right? And when, he, when you come to the altar, he doesn't come, you don't come up to the altar and Jesus, I give you my life. And he says, okay, now I just want you to go spend the rest of your life in the quiet time and you don't have to work anymore because you're saved. No. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago when, when we were reading in 2 Corinthians 7 and Paul's addressing all these questions about, well, now that I'm saved, what does that mean? Does that, what does that mean for marriage and what does that mean? And he says, continue in the life that you've been called, but serve the Lord and aim to please him. So we're called to work and we've got this purpose of God that now we're tapping into, that no matter what sphere of society we're working in, We're what Isaiah 43 says, we're a witness to the one true God. Oh, I love that. So it doesn't necessarily change the fact we don't all just get to have an eternal quiet time. No, if the presence, if God just saved us for the presence of God, then he might as well just like take us up to heaven immediately. Right? But it's not just, he didn't just save us for the presence of God. He saved us for the presence and the purpose of God. We're going to be involved in the purpose of God for the rest of eternity as well. 
But there's work that can only be done here on earth. And Jesus calls that, while it's daytime, work. Because night is coming when no one can work. So let's dive into Matthew 28. Um, This is called the Great Commission. So Jesus is about to ascend up to heaven. And he's going to entrust the mission and the purpose of his rule and reign in that day and age to these 11 disciples at that time and these followers of him. And so he says, he come, this is in verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a beautiful promise containing two words we use at the ramp a lot, purpose and presence. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey commands. And behold, I am with you always. And so when we're following Jesus, we are always walking on these two legs of purpose and presence. There's not a season of our life where we're really just one or the other. It's breathing in, breathing out, purpose and presence, purpose and presence, purpose and presence. Always connected to the big work of God. Always having access to the presence of God that makes the work transformative. Always both and. And then he goes on and he says in uh, Acts 1.8, he's about to ascend again. Here he's giving these last words. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's presence. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's purpose. Purpose and presence. We have this precious Holy Spirit. But then we're entrusted with this divine work. The purpose of making Jesus known among the nations. And every single one of us as believers, our life is woven into that big storyline of what God is doing on the earth. Generation to generation. And it's all headed somewhere gloriously. You know where it's all headed? It's all headed to, I love what it says in um, Revelations 11. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of God, Jesus said the kingdom is here and it's coming. And he has these representatives of his kingdom spread throughout cities, spread throughout workplaces, and you are a representative. And because you're there, the kingdom is here. And because you're there, you're testifying the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. And all of our purpose, all of our work is pointing to what Jesus is doing and will do in making all things new. And bringing, as it says in Ephesians 1, bringing everything under the authority of Christ. He's making all things new. And our work here is to represent his kingdom, to give people invitations to make him Lord now. Because if he's not Lord now, he won't be your Lord then. He's coming and he's ruling with power. His kingdom will know no end. 
And come on, and those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, we will experience the full manifestation of his rule. The peace, the justice, the righteousness. We're going to be living in the fully manifested kingdom of God. And this is going to be so glorious. And the work that we're doing now is tied to that big purpose. Can I just, I just want to read this. Sometimes you just got to go to the end of the book. You got to go to the end of the story and find your story, where it's all headed. Look at Revelation 21. This is so amazing how God weaves everything together so beautifully. He weaves temporary into the eternal. He weaves individuals into the corporate. He weaves this generation into every generation that's ever lived. He, he weaves these people of faith to the people of faith who've lived before. He's just beautifully bringing it all together. He's not compartmentalized like men. <laughs> he, he gets like, you know how men have those little compartments? Thank you, Emma. Come on, he's, he's, he's got attributes like men, but he can, he, can, he can multitask. He's like doing it all at the same time. He's past, present, future, all in one conversation. He's all mixed up in one pot. He's working these purposes of God all into this individual life that's going to live maybe 70 years, 80 years. God doing it all at once. And where's it all headed? Look at Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. What's the purpose of our life? We're tapped into this story of making Jesus known, of getting people ready. Paul says it. Powerfully, passionately, Paul says, I have betrothed you to one bridegroom, and I'm jealous for you that your devotion to him would be pure and wholehearted. So this is um, Revelation 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. You're the down payment of that promise because God's living with you here right now on this earth. You're the down payment. You're the deposit. The Holy Spirit in you is the deposit, is the sign testifying of the full manifestation of that which is to come. God dwelling with his people. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his God and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. Oh, isn't that glorious? For those who are following Jesus now, that's the rule you're about to experience. That's the government that you're under and that you're going to be fully manifested living in. That's the promise of where all this is headed. Oh, thank you, Lord, that we have such hope. 
So the Great Commission is about getting earth ready for that. It's about, like Paul says, you're shouting to people, be reconciled to God. Because of what Jesus has done, it's now possible for us to be reconciled to God. Paul says it, the purpose is everything under the authority of Christ. He says it in Ephesians 4, the purpose of the church, unity and maturity, so we can measure up to the full stature. Our purpose is not just to make God known among the nations, but our purpose is to grow in Christ from infancy to maturity. And then I love even what um, Jesus, the one word that he, he, in John 15 and 16, he sums it up in this, is if you're my disciple, you're meant to be fruitful. You're meant to reproduce. He takes it back to the garden scene where it first all went a little wrong in Genesis 3. And he's, when Genesis 1 and 2, he says, be fruitful and multiply. And John 15, he says, you are my disciples. I chose you to bear fruit that would remain. You're called to this life of fruitfulness. So all of these things in serving, in working, in our time, in our money. You know, I don't, I feel like this is so important for us to understand that why do we get, why do we get sometimes uh, antsy about people, you know, when it, antsy, no matter who you are, pastor or whatever, boss, whatever, why do we get so antsy about like topics like money? It's because sometimes they're just areas that we're so used to managing on our own, right? We have control over that. And so then when somebody wants to like speak into it, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You didn't earn this money. I earned this money, you know? But when we're under the lordship of Jesus, we've said, all my life for your glory. All of it. And part, and so then God uses every facet of our life to release his purpose on the earth. He's not going to work around your money and around your energy and around your time. He's going to work through your energy, through your money, through your capacity to get his purpose on the earth. He works through it, not around it. So why is it important that we talk about all facets of life? Sexuality, money, parenting, marriage, all these things. Because all of these are avenues, signs and wonders to the world around us of a world to come. Of a rule and a reign of a coming king. Where there's peace and there's justice and there's hope. Every single facet. And so Ramp Church, I want us to be a people that we are able, our life here on earth, that we are all together pointed in the same direction of making Jesus known, of knowing him personally and making him known. Now, I want to show you this picture of this arrow. All right, so here we have... Here we have all these little arrows within the big arrow. And so you can think of, that, all, think of that big arrow as the great purpose of God, glorifying Jesus, making his name known among the nations, preparing for himself a bride that's pure and holy and united. And all of those little arrows are the different ministries all around the world who have different expressions, different flavors, different accents, so to speak, of that same language all pointing to the glory of God among the nations. And then you've got, you could break it down a little further and you can say, well, that, that arrow could represent Ramp Church. And we're our own expression and we're our own accent of the Great Commission. 
And within our own accent and expression and values and the language that we use to express the mandate God gave the church, there are individual lives and there are ministries. And they are all pointed in a direction that complements all the things that ramp holds dear. The, the, the way we put language to what Jesus has mandated for every church. And we're all pointed to the glory of God in the world and the purposes of God unfolding on earth. Every arrow pointed towards Jesus, tapped into the bigger picture of our life. So how do we do that? How do we do that here? Well, in three words, Ramp Church is about awakening, equipping, and sending. This is the language we use to articulate those biblical mandates in Ephesians 4 and Matthew 28 and Mark 16 and Acts 1-8. Awaken. We as a church, by we I mean those of you who call Ramp Church home, we build atmospheres for encountering God. What do we do on Sundays and in these prayer meetings and these youth spaces and kids ministry and our youth mentorship and all these different facets, you know, in our outreach on the streets and how, what are we doing? We're creating, we're facilitating encounters with God. What are you doing when you're engaging in a conversation with a workmate and you go there about God? You're, you're creating an opportunity for somebody to encounter God, to get a taste, to get a glimpse to hear a sound they've not heard of the world they're called to. So we are all about the presence of God that changes us. We know that the human heart cannot be changed by any other means than the anointing, the presence of God. So we create these spaces, we build these communities, we run together after the presence of God awakening, those moments where you know God is real, he loves you and he has a purpose for your life. Next thing, we, how do we do this? Not just through the hospitality of Sunday mornings and all the, cor the corporate spaces where we give people taste and glimpses of his glory, but we equip, we, through your community groups, through what you're doing in these different ministries that you're a part of, you are equipping others and equipping each other by creating content and community that's going to help us do the work of God. You are giving people tools. You are giving them the tools of your testimony and your experience and your wisdom and you're discuss discussing the word of God, praying into it. You're providing growth opportunities. For people to grow from infancy to maturity, from glory to glory, strength to strength, growth happens in the context of relationships. And so equipping is deeply embedded in community. It's deeply embedded in community. It's because there's accountability and there's challenge and there's hearing experiences that you've not had. Your growth happens deeply embedded in the relationships that you're connected to. And then the last thing, send. We commission believers for cultural mission fields. You're all a part of this. All of you, commissioning, sending others. What do I call this? This is like when you're sending people, you're also as church and community and the work you're doing, you're reminding them. You're called to that mission field, but you're not meant to fit into that mission field. You're called to that field, but you won't ever fully fit into that field. You're otherworldly. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. 
And you're reminding each other in those cultural mission fields, well, don't be surprised if they rejected you because they rejected Jesus. Jesus was rejected in his mission field, and Paul was rejected in his mission field, and Peter was rejected in his mission field. So don't, you're reminding each other. And in your workplace, you're reminding each other, you're sending, you're sending, you're reminding them, oh, I'm so glad you got a promotion, but remember, more money means more giving. You're keeping the main thing the main thing. Come on, you are building, you're keeping each other accountable for the work that you're building here on earth. Listen to this. Listen to what? This is why we need community and awakening, equipping, and sending all those things. Because 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. I'm going to read this quick. They don't have it back there. But it says, but on judgment day, leave it to me to bring that judgment day up, right? On judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Now, Paul's not writing to unbelievers. Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Now, Paul's not saying everybody needs to be an apostle like him. Because later in Paul, um, Colossians 3, he says, whatever you do, Work at it heartily unto God, not unto men. So he's consecrating any area of work. He's talking in that particular passage to all sorts of specific people groups. And he's saying unto God, not unto men, is the sanctifying factor of the work. It is the wall of fire that will judge the work. Who were you doing the work unto? Pull the thread a little bit. Why? 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 Why am I in that place? Why am I called to that field of work? What's the end? And if the end is shorter than the glory of God, then the end will be burned up. You've got to stay connected to the why of your work. And let it shock you like James says, let it shock you now instead of on judgment day, right? Where you're watching your work go up in flames and you're barely escaping the fire of judgment. I mean, that's what he's painting right there for us. Well, Paul, he's not playing games, and neither are you. That's why you're in this room this morning. The work that you are putting yourself into is more than your paycheck and provision. It's more than your security. It's more than that. And you are meant to be a, testi a testimony to the world around you that you can work well without having work be your God. Both work and relationships, what we've been talking about, we're so prone to make them idols, right? We want to make them the ultimate thing when they're just a means to the glory of God. And you are constantly, this is why you need community. Because you will start bowing at an idol and everybody else sees it before you do sometimes. <laughs> and so you are meant to, to bring the glory of God through your purpose. But this work, it's all about the bigger picture. And you have got to be tapped into that bigger picture all the time. The more you are aware and living from the end to the beginning, the more likely you are to be rewarded for your work instead of it being destroyed. Live from the end to the beginning. So awakening, equipping, and sending. John 9, 4, Jesus said, All of us must carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent me. For there is little time left before night falls and all work comes to an end. 
all of us must quickly carry out the task assigned. That's such, I mean, Jesus saying those words. Every time I read that scripture, I just am like gripped with that awakening moment. The word of God just awakened. Like, Lord, all my life for your glory. And you are called to different mission fields. And it's part of your responsibility to figure out and make sure that you're doing the work of God the way God would want you to do it. There's no shortcuts to that. Paul even prays it in Ephesians 5, and he says, I pray that you would understand what really matters. And he says, and I pray that you live like those who are wise and not like the foolish, because the days are evil. So make the most of every opportunity. And then he goes in that same breath. He says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Carefully determine. So it's not up, for, it's not up to a prophet to tell you your purpose. Stop waiting on somebody else to give you your own download. You have access to the word of God and the presence of God. And this is your life and your life is going to be that dash in the middle on some cemetery stone someday. And it's up to you and God to work out what that is here on earth. You have everything you need to walk in the purpose of God. Everything you need. You just need to seek until you find. Seek until you find. And this is the beautiful thing about the corporate presence of God. When we are joined together as a corporate body, teamwork makes the dream work. You get a part of a bigger picture. And in that bigger picture, you begin to find individual purpose and discern the purpose of God for you in seasons. So we call this individual purpose and corporate responsibility. And both are important. It's not just about your personal gifting, right? The whole purpose of gifting is to serve. Peter says, 1 Peter 4.10, he says, these gifts, they enable you to serve one another in love. And see, we get so hung up on, am I an apostle? Am I a prophet? Am I a teacher? Am I a pastor? Am I an and we get like spinning, like on a hamster wheel, trying to figure out what these gifts are that we have. When if you started serving, you would know what your gifts are because the purpose of the gift is to serve. So if you're serving, whatever, Paul, Peter says it like this. In fact, let me just turn there. First Peter 4.10, God has given you each, each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another in love. So when you're looking at a situation, how can I serve these people right now? Maybe it's preaching the gospel, maybe it's a prophetic word, but the unction of the Holy Spirit in you is gonna rise up and help you serve. And the purpose of the gifting is not so you feel powerful. The purpose of the gifting is to serve one another in love. Love well. Yes, so Jesus says there's work to be done. He says all of us need to carry out these tasks because there's a time coming when night will come and we won't be able to work. And then John 4, 34, when he's just ministered to the Samaritan woman and his disciples come back and say, are you hungry? And he said, I have food you know not of. He says in John 4, 34, Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. This is so countercultural. Nourishment comes from doing the work of God, the will of God. And some of us, we just need to grab hold of the narrative of God about our purpose and our work. 
And we need to renounce and let go of some of the narratives that we are clinging to that are holding us back about work. Work is hard. I I hate work. I can't do it. And believe and agree with what God says about you and your work life. There's purpose. You know, even in serving, I was reminded as I was praying for all of you, I was thinking about, I was really reading a lot, and I wish I had time, and I'd encourage you to go and read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, because that's the practical outworking of this, where Paul is talking to a specific church about their giving, and he's going through, and it's really convicting, and he's getting really, like, nitty-gritty with it. And um, I was praying, and I was just thinking of how, Lord, you know, it's not, it's not perfect. I mean, Lord, the way you set everything up, there's lots of imperfections about all this. You chose imperfect people who still are not in maturity. You entrusted your church to those people. And I'm sure God's not like, oh my gosh, Stacy, you're right. I never saw it before. (laughs) But I'm just processing this with God because everybody's gotten hurt, right? Everybody knows what burnout is like. Everybody, most, most people know what burnout feels like and the pain of disappointment. And I was thinking about this story where... I was at worship. I was in worship. Okay, this was back in Stratford Grammar School where we were before lockdown. And I had knelt down the whole time during, during worship. And just hang with me, and I'll show you how this connects. And when I stood up, Sanja had gotten me a new pair of shoes, and I'd never worn them before. And I had been kneeling, and I stand up after worship, but my legs are both terribly asleep. And I collapse to the ground in a really embarrassing way. And there I am just like on the floor. And then like somebody looks at me and they're like, oh my gosh, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't think I am. My, my, my ankle, I heard my ankle pop. It was throbbing. They have to like haul me out. And I go to the A&E with Sanja and Sanja's just praying in the spirit the whole way. And I'm just like in agony pain. And I get there and they do all this examination. And they said that I had just sprained my ankle. And when, I'm, when she's examining me, I'm telling her about it, you know, the sound, the pop. I'm like, surely, like, my ankle's probably not even there. The pop was so loud. It was just terrible. And the, the nurse, you know, Sanja's in the room there with me, and she's just sitting there, you know, just listening. And the nurse looks at me, and she goes, okay, well, come and walk to me. And I look at her, and I'm like, I look at Sanja, and I'm like, I just hurt my ankle. I heard a pop that was so loud, everybody in the room probably heard it. And now you want me to walk on the ankle. I literally said, I said, you want me to walk on this ankle? And she said, yeah, just walk to me. And so I start walking. And then she says, well, I think it's just a sprain. And she sent me out of there without any crutches and without any medicine. And I went, and I know that some of you are probably like, what is the, and I went back to the sofa, and I was in pain, and I had my, my, my ankle propped up, and, and, and I remember texting Nicola, and I was like, Nicola, do you have any crutches? Because this situation, I think, warrants some crutches. And she brought me some, and you know, I'm hobbling around for a few days, and then one of the, one of the amazing people at our church um, who does physiotherapy, she came, and she started looking at my ankle, and y'all, she was rubbing right where it hurt. And she claimed that that was part of the healing process. And so I am like in agony and she's just massaging like with great vigor. And now she's saying, okay, now I'm going to stand here and you stand there and I want you to hop on it. I want you to walk on it. I want you to run. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? Where did the word injury not get in your brain? I am injured here. 
And some of you approach giving and you approach volunteering that same way. Now, I, you know, I don't say this to boast, but just to put this in context, I gave birth to three children without any drugs, all natural. And I was like, how could I fall so apart at a sprained ankle? And it's because my mindset was completely different. I know childbirth is going to be hard, but nobody expects to get injured in worship, right? <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, if you're at the rent, maybe so. So sometimes the mindset you're going into something, you've got this idealized view of what serving and worship and all this is to God, and you've taken the suffering out of it that's meant to draw you into glory, and then you get hurt and people are still telling you to do stuff and you're getting sassy with the doctor because the doctor doesn't seem to know that you're injured when the doctor's saying, no, the way that you're gonna get healed is by continuing to walk and continuing to put pressure on the pain. You're gonna put pressure on my pain and call that therapy? See, but it was, I'm so thankful that 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 Don, the physiotherapist, that she came, she was so generous and she was so committed because now I'm pain-free, right? So it was intense pain for a season of walking on it and getting it rubbed on and having those little machine guns that like, you know, do the little the vibrating thing on your ankle and all of that, but it led to healing. And it's what we've said before, your healing's not gonna come because you ultimately cut yourself off from the body. It's because the body is meant to heal itself if you stay connected. So in just challenging all of us, looking at all of these things, we've got to get a hold of that bigger picture. And, you know, we all say this. When Pastor Karen was here a few months ago, right, and she was preaching that powerful word, do it now. The harvest is ripe. And we're throwing our hands up and we're like, Jesus, we want all of Manchester to be saved. And he says, well... What if they can't fit in that building? What if you're going to have to go to two services? And you're like, well, huh. Well, God, send angels. Send angels. And, and, and where are those fish with the money in the fish's mouth? Lord, send some of those. No, but God has already come in human form. Jesus is already up in heaven. Now, what's the answer? What's the plan? The plan was God's church. That's the plan. And this is what gives me confidence because in spite of all the church's imperfections, it's God's plan. It's not mine. Right? It's on God. So he chooses imperfect processes and people to refine me and to mature me. And the way I respond to immaturity is revealing my maturity and it's giving me an opportunity to grow. But in the end, all of it is not even fully about my maturity. Because in the end, it's even bigger than that. And it's about the glory of God among the nations. And this is what gives me life. So we have got work to do. We have got things. We have got work. Now, I know some of you, you're like, so I, I know what it's like to be tired. But this is what's so comforting to me. Let me read to you what um, 2 Corinthians, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. This is what's comforting to me about this verse. Is the, the person you're going to stand before and give an account for your life, he's your loving father who knows everything about you. He knows the stress you're under. He knows the pressure. He knows the responsibilities. He knows the gifting. 
And you're not going to have to answer to me or any church leader. You're going to answer to God for what you did with what he gave you. But this is the thing about God. He is, like Paul says, he's both loving and severe. And this is the parables that you read about of stewardship all through that. But in 2 Corinthians, so this is what um, Paul says here. So whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 15. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is also for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. This is how beautiful it is to be a follower of Jesus. We experience this new life and he weaves everything into his glory and his purpose. And we get to be a part of his kingdom. We get to be a laborer in his field. And now all that we're working towards is not under the curse. It's under the divine blessing of God. I love what Luke 5 says. I want to call the band to come. In Luke 5, Jesus is preaching on the shore, and he gets in a boat, and he starts preaching because the crowds are pressing in on him. And in verse 5, or in verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, Were we, we worked hard all night last night, and we didn't catch anything. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And some of you, you're like, been there, done that. Done the church serving thing, done the giving thing, been there, done that, the church scene, all of that. But Jesus hasn't returned yet, and you still have life left. And he's looking at you, and he's saying, let down your nets. And you're saying, but I worked all night, and I caught nothing. I've already done that. It was fruitless. And now you have the choice. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the nets. Or you walk away and you miss your miracle. And here's the thing about serving and giving. The people who serve and the people who give, you guys in this room, it's not because you have some extra 10 hours in each week. And it's not because a lot of you have extra money. It's because the kingdom of God has so gotten in you. The message of God's glory and eternity has so started to grip your DNA that you, as like Paul says, you can't not do it. It's like Jeremiah, who's getting persecuted for what he's saying. He's saying, I wish that I could be silent, but when I'm silent, it burns like fire in my bones. When the kingdom of God transcends temporary pain, it transcends our complex questions. When we see him, we will know fully. Right now we know in part. But when we see him, come on, imagine this. Just close your eyes right now. 
You're in that moment. You've, you've stepped through. You've gone from knowing part, prophesying part to know fully. And when you see Him, you will never wish that you had given Him less. When you see Him, you will only wish you would have given Him more. When you see how worthy God is, how His glory just so overcomes the suffering of following Him, He's going to be like what it says in Revelation 21, every tear wiped from your eye, every wrong made right. There's work to be done. And I want the band just, I want us to stand to our feet. And I want us to just sing this with them. And I want us to just create space in our heart to give God just a fresh yes, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever you need from me. And this is what Pastor Karen, what Pastor Karen taught us. Just ask him. Ask him. Lord, what does it mean to see awakening in my day and age? What does it mean to resource and to serve your kingdom? What does it mean of my finances? What does it mean of my time? Do you want more, Lord? Do you want, what do you need? What do you want? The answer is yes.